You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is Jaleesa Arsip, Kirk contributor and nationally best-selling author, yeah, yeah, of My Underground American Dream and Someone Like Me. You are listening to Crooked Conversations, and this is the third installment of our special series, On the Brink, Women Who Are on the Edge of Making History. Today we are talking to an extraordinary woman, Steph the Hammer Hammerman, who is the world's first CrossFit Level 2 trainer with cerebral palsy. She's a cancer survivor and Nike's first adaptive athlete. She recently opened her own functional fitness facility and is on the brink of revolutionizing fitness for anyone with an adaptive need. I loved talking to Stephanie. I learned so much and was left inspired to bring light to more stories of people with adaptive needs. Steph shared so much of her personal journey, so I'll let you listen to her tell her story. But on the policy side, it is worth noting that before being fired, Jeff Sessions got at the American Disabilities Act rescinding 25 guidance documents, including a recent document in 2016 that codify the labor rights of people with adaptive needs. I hope you've been inspired by this conversation and moved into action. Um, Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us and joining us from North Carolina. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, Steph, you uh, you are a twin, but you and yeah. your sibling have had very different journeys in life. You were diagnosed with cerebral palsy at a very young age, and your parents were told that you would never walk, talk, read, or write. Can you help us uh, educate us on uh, what were some of your earliest challenges growing up with CP? And like, did people look at you differently? Did they treat you differently, especially with your twin? Uh, with your twin, how was that experience like? So I think I got very lucky growing up in the family that I did. I grew up with, you know, a bunch of siblings. And so my older brother is only nine and a half months older than me and my twin brother. And then we have a younger sister. And I actually have a ton of uh, step-siblings. So I'm I'm one of ten kids. Um, and growing up in, uh, you know, such a big family, such a large family, there wasn't really time for people to... Um, treat me very much differently or really, you know, point fingers at the fact that I did have cerebral palsy. One thing I love about my family is that they let me be exactly who I was supposed to be. And although it's true that, you know, they told my parents I may never read, speak, write. um, By the time I was three years old, I was explaining to complete strangers what cerebral palsy was. (laughs) And so when my parents realized that I had the power of my voice, uh, and that I was able to communicate my feelings. I was also able to understand, you know, social cues and, and what people were saying or how, right. you know, they wanted me to act. They figured, you know, she's going to be just fine. Uh, the biggest turning point, I'd say, in my young life was when I was about five years old, my parents sat me down and said, you have an option. 
And I said, okay. And they said, you can either go to school with Johnny and David, or you can go to a school that's specially just for kids like you. And I'd been going to that school for, you know, two or three years um, as a young kid and uh, at a school with kids with special needs. And I looked at my mom and I looked at my dad and I said, I want to go to school with my brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister wasn't old enough to go to the school yet, but uh, I wanted to go to school with them. And from first grade all the way to the end of high school, I had been mainstreamed in a regular school. Wow, that's that's uh, that's great. And where there was the was the new school that you that you went to. Did they have like the resources for you to uh, because you 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 do you did still I'm assuming you did still need different perhaps like different accommodations uh or did you need did you need those and if you did was the school able to provide them for you so what was really interesting was from first grade first grade all the way to 12th grade i was actually the only um physically disabled child that we knew of that was in the school system so Mm. i actually went to two different high schools because um my mom had gotten divorced and then got remarried and and met somebody that uh, lived in a different town. And so we ended up moving uh, midway through high school. But it was very interesting that, um, you know, I got to become my own advocate. So at a young age, my parents taught me really how to fight for myself. So I learned early on, like, what an IEP was, what the different resources that I was going to need. Uh, I did have an what, aid. What is an I, uh, what, what did you call it? <laughs> oh, it's... It's a document. It's called an IEP, uh, Individual Education Plan, or yeah, plan or program. One of those, one of those two. Um, but it was an individualized program, basically telling them what I would need when it came to taking tests, when it hmm. came to going to a resource lab, or you know, just special accommodations that I would need. And one of the things that I had. Probably elementary school, middle school, and I think like my first year of high school, I had an aide that would help me get from class to class. Hmm. And then by like the end of my first year of high school, I was like, I don't need this anymore. Um, and I kind of, I kind of just did it on my own and and walked the halls with some friends. I uh, definitely went through some growing pains with the. Um, you know, the school system and teaching them actually more about how to handle, right. you know, somebody with different needs in the school system, especially in physical education. And so at an early age, I was teaching teachers how to <laughs> handle me in phys ed class. So, but everybody was extremely responsive to it and, and I couldn't be more lucky. That's that's great. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around like what cerebral palsy uh, really is, and and even though it's not a very common disability, I think people have like just different ideas about um, the challenges that that it presents. But um, but I don't think a lot of us realize that you know, two and three people with uh, CP can walk, and three and four people are able to um, communicate. What what are some other misconceptions that people have? Um, about this this physical challenge that that you could help us dispel. I tell I tell people all the time like don't don't google things, right? Because <laughs> right. When, when you google things whether it's like uh, a fever or you know cerebral palsy, you're going to get the worst possible um, imagery or result from it instead of really learning from it. And so 
I, I like to think that if I'm the first person that somebody meets with cerebral palsy, I'm really grateful because it shows you that CP comes on a spectrum, right? Um, I may not have full control over the lower half of my body, but, uh, you know, cognitively, I can handle everything very well. Um, intellectually, I understand everything that's going on um, and, you know, live a very independent life. Now, that doesn't mean that certain people can't live like that. I mean, I, I've had, very, you know, a couple friends that have more s severe cerebral palsy, right? And they have to have 24-hour care and they, mm -hmm. and, you know, they can't do very many things for themselves, but what they can do is use their brain, right? And people, especially people that I know that are nonverbal, are very, very, very intelligent. And so I think people have this, you know, misconception that everybody with cerebral palsy is one certain way. Mm. And you would be amazed. I work with four different athletes with cerebral palsy, including myself, and every single one of those athletes has different abilities than the other. And it, it blows my mind because you can't look at each of us and say, oh, this is what CP is because every single person is different. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. I, and I do think I do think that's right that a lot of people um, just kind of uh, one like do take their cues from from Googling something, but also they take <laughs> their cues from like one case that they know. And then that's like everything they think is. Uh, is the truth about about a certain thing, right? So I, I, I appreciate those comments about the fact that there are different people who um, have different circumstances and um, it's something that's really uh, kind of like person to person. You know, it's funny. I, I look at my life and the things that the... The things that my blueprint, my original blueprint, I like to look at life as having this plan, right? The original blueprint for me as a baby and what my parents thought life might be like if I didn't have cerebral palsy is completely different than what it actually is, right? But then what's cool is the fact that they give you this template and they say, okay, your kid has CP, right? And everything seems to be hard and everything seems to be an obstacle and everything is you know, more difficult than the next. And then the kid grows up and all these opportunities are in front of them, right? And so I'm not really exactly sure why I am the way that I am, but I'm very extroverted. I have, and I know this this might sound cocky to some people, but I, I say it often. I truly believe that I was born with a beautiful face and a big mouth <laughs> for a reason. Um, I, I believe that I was meant to be an advocate. That doesn't mean that I'm meant to be an advocate for people with disabilities. I advocate for all different kinds of things every single day. So I'm not sitting here, you know, waving a flag for disability all the time because I truly believe that, you know, people should be able to live their own life. And I'm not defined by the fact that I have cerebral palsy, right? Yeah. I'm, def I'm defined by a lot more than just CP. So I think that it's really important that people understand that, you know, CP comes in all shapes, sizes, and different colors, and it, you can't just pick one. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed um, in your in your other in your other interviews and some of your writing 
is um, this this word that you use, um, adaptive, right? My uh, adaptive needs and adaptive athletes, and um, I hadn't um, I hadn't really come across that word too much. Uh, I think that many people just kind of um, refer to it as you know, um, like we use we tend to use the the word disability a lot more and i'm wondering um i'm wondering should we get rid of the word disability and change it to adaptive needs like what's the what's the difference between um using these two words like do you prefer one over the other can you just enlighten us on that because i want to make sure that we're using the right language to to refer to this let me ask you a question if you Obviously, you, you can't see me right now. You Steph, see this is, the, you, I'm, the, I'm supposed to be the one asking questions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just saying, you, you've, you, you know, you can see a picture of me, but let's say somebody has never met me before and you want to describe me to them. My ultimate hope is that you finish describing me in a way that is human, right? Like, She's got brown hair. She wears glasses. She has a beautiful face. You know, those things. And then, oh, by the way, if you meet her, just so you know, she happens to use a wheelchair or use crutches and has cerebral palsy. Like that, that should be the way that we describe people and not like, oh, yeah, I have a friend and she's disabled. Right. (laughs) Right. And so I don't know that I necessarily use the word disability you know, in my everyday life. It's just not, it's, it's just become not really a thing that I use all the time. And I, the word adaptive, I guess is just another way to describe it. Adaptive means you're having to change. You're having to, you know, adapt to the situation that you're currently in. If you are 450 pounds and I ask the entire class to go for a one mile run, I'm not going to ask that person to go for a one-mile run Mm -hmm. because one mile to the most fit person, I'm going to ask them to put the best effort they can put forward. And I'm going to ask that same thing of that person that happens to be 450 pounds. Just because you're in a different situation doesn't mean you can't get the same result. Makes yep. sense. Yep. Yep. And and thank you. Thank you for for sharing that because um because I think you're right. Like I think some so many times we just try to put people in boxes instead of looking at people as you said like as as human beings and um yeah, and, I, <laughs> and I and I really right. love um like I really love your use of this word adaptive and um it's something that you know I um going forward like that's the word that I'm going to use when I talk about um when I talk about this is just because you're right like you are um you have to adapt to things and 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 I just I love that the the use of the of that word and and how you've um how you've really used it in, in like I said like in all the interviews that I saw and in your own writing um so that's what we should steer to I think about it like my grandparents, right? They lived in a world where they grew up in a world where if you had some sort of physical different ability, you literally were like put in a psych ward Mm -hmm. and and like put somewhere and taken somewhere and that's how you lived your life. And now things are evolving, right? We, We don't live in this cookie cutter world of like, oh, well, this is where you go and this is where you go. People have a have a more open mind now, and or so I hope, 
But, you know, I, I even think about the conversations that I have with my grandparents and, and their mindset changes. Like when they look at somebody with a different ability now, it's not, oh, look at them, like that's so wonderful. It's like, you know, they're pretty amazing people for what they are able to to adapt and overcome and conquer, you know, in their own life. And so it's taking that like negative energy and turning it into, you know, this person happens to use a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make them any different. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Simply Save. Okay, so I'm scared of like pretty much anything. I can't even watch a scary movie commercial. Like I have to change the channel right away. Pretty much everything scares me. I believe in ghosts, so I always think there's like a ghost somewhere. Anyways, alarm the willies, the heebie-jeebies, panic. There are dozens of words for fear, but just one for an exceptional home security company to stop fear at your front door. Simply safe. Can Simply Save really keep me safe from ghost? I don't know, but maybe. Simply Save is home security that knows it feels good to fear less. This award-winning 24/7 protection that protects your home through it all, through blizzards, blackouts, and burglars, and potentially ghosts. Simply Save has won awards from all the tech experts that count. The Verge calls it the best home security. It's won Reader's Choice from PC Magazine. It's a two-time winner of CNET's Editor's Choice and a Wirecutter top pick. Simply Save has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gotchas. And they simply keep prices fair and honest. Thanks to Simply Save, fear has no place in a place like home. Try Simply Save with free shipping and free returns. You'll get a 60-day risk-free trial too. Order now and have your home protected within a week. Go to simplysafe.com slash crookedconvos to get started today. That's simplysafe.com slash crookedconvos. Be sure to go there so they know we sent you. Please make sure they know we sent you. Simplysafe.com slash crookedconvos. So I've done uh, I've done CrossFit for about five years um, and uh, the last couple of years, I haven't I haven't been as consistent because of my travel squad, my travel schedule. And um, we probably have some listeners that are CrossFit haters. Um, so yes, eventually I was going to find a way to tell you, listeners, that I CrossFit. Um, but uh-huh. anyhow, um, CrossFit is really hard. But one thing that I've always loved about it is that you can always adapt anything to your to your fitness level. Um, so can you just tell us how did your CrossFit journey start? So my CrossFit journey started in 2012. Um, I had gotten really bored of doing the same old routine over and over and over again at the uh, at a regular gym. And I remember working with a personal trainer, and it was wonderful. Uh, but I felt like I had like already completed my goals, right? And I was just kind of doing the monotonous movements and was just kind of over it. So I had a friend who was a coach at a gym and I had, uh, she had said to me, you know, like, what are you doing now to work out? And I said, well, honestly, I'm looking for something else because I'm getting kind of bored. And you were getting bored said, well, with doing, uh, we're doing marathons. 
That's uh, yeah. <laughs> I, want our, so, I want our listeners to know that before you were doing um, CrossFit, you were doing marathons. Yeah, I was a competitive hand cyclist for quite a while, and I had done um, multiple marathons, and I I had done half marathons, five k's, ten k's, and then a full marathon, and I just was like kind of burned out from it, right. and I just didn't didn't really find. I guess, joy in it anymore. And so my friend said, well, why don't you come to, to my gym and uh, I'll introduce you to the owner. And so on May 3rd of 2012, I rolled into uh, CrossFit Hardcore in Boca Raton and I met the owner and he looked at me and said, well, what do you want to do? And I told him, I said, listen, I'm an athlete. I know that I can figure out a way to do this, but I'm going to need your help. And he said, okay. He said, we'll get on the floor. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And it literally took me about 25 minutes to pick myself up. Mm. And at that point, I realized I really needed to do something that, that was different. And he said, you know, we went through this whole conversation and he said, do you think you're going to come back? And I said, I want to come back. So we worked together three times a week personally for a couple of months. And then we started filming my progress. And then I started hopping into some classes and people kept commenting and they were like, oh my goodness, I've never seen something like this before. Uh, or I have cerebral palsy and I want to do this. And then we realized that I was the first female in the world with cerebral palsy to be doing what I was doing. Mm. And so I just started uploading more and more videos. And, um, you know, at the time, Steph the Hammer didn't exist. That wasn't like nobody knew that name. That wasn't a nickname that I had. And I remember just putting these plain videos up and people would comment on them. And so it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then about a year into it, I saw an adaptive coach. Hmm. He's my friend Jason and he had one leg. And I was like, wait, these people are actually listening to what you have to say. <laughs> and he said, yeah. And I said, do you think that uh, I could be a coach? And, and so he introduced me to his friend, Chef, Chef Wallach, who owned CrossFit Rubicon. Chef looked at me and said, not only do I think you could be a coach, but you're going to be one of my coaches someday. Hmm. And four months later, I packed up my stuff. I moved to Virginia for the summer and I worked for him. And in 2013, I became the world's first female with cerebral palsy to um, get a CrossFit certification. And now I'm a level two CrossFit trainer. That's amazing. I can't wait to come to North Carolina and do a walk with you. <laughs> oh, we can't wait to have you. It's going to be so amazing. I, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to start going back to uh back to brick. I did see on one of your videos on the background at least um that you had you had uh, you were worked out at brick before. And I was like, "Oh, she's been to my box." Yeah, I was so, so excited. I, I actually <laughs> um, I'm very grateful. I worked out there uh for the eight months while I was going through chemotherapy and uh, they allowed me to have a membership there and so I worked out there during my treatment which was pretty awesome. Oh that's great I hadn't realized that you were there for um, for yeah. that long I'm um, I, I love I love being part of that um, of that community and I really uh, every time I go even if I haven't been for like months uh I come back and everyone's just like, oh my God, Jalisa, so good to see you. And it's it's such a, it feels so good to be welcomed like that. It's awesome. Um, 
So I uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, you mentioned that you uh, that you were going th- through chemotherapy um, and uh, you are um, you're also a cancer survivor and um, can you can you just uh, and, and I and when I was reading um, when I was reading about your journey with chemo uh, and just how like quickly you had um, you had like beaten cancer. And people couldn't believe just like how quickly you had you had beaten it, um, but you still had had to finish your treatment. So can you just talk to us about uh, about that journey and about that experience? Of course. So I'm very good with dates, and my boyfriend's like amazed at the fact that I can remember all of this stuff. But uh, on April 16th, um, we had come back from a date, and we were sitting in my apartment. And I went to sit up in my wheelchair and I screamed so loud. And like, I'll never forget the sound of that scream and like what it felt like. I remember sitting up in my chair and I screamed and my boyfriend said to me, he goes, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I said, I think I might have like hurt myself rowing. I remember doing like a really intense row workout um, that morning. And underneath my armpit was like killing me. And he was like, well, babe, let me look at it. And I said, okay. Um, And so he looked at it, and he was like, yeah, bone doesn't do that, and neither does muscle. And he was a firefighter paramedic. And so I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, we need to go to the doctor. And I was like, no, like, I'm okay. I'm fine. Like, I'll be okay. And he goes, no, babe, on Monday, we need to go to the doctor. We went to the doctor on that Monday morning, and it was April 18th. It was my grandpa's birthday. And uh, all of a sudden, this woman walks in, and she's not my normal doctor. And then she says, you know, your doctor was taking a test today, and she couldn't be here, but I'm here to help you. And it was this tiny little woman, and I said, okay, and I'm, like, really scared. And I show her my armpit, and she's like, well you know, let me just feel around. And she starts going up and down my neck Hmm. and then starts going into my belly and then starts going into my legs. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) And she goes, well, we need to get you an ultrasound like right now. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And she's like, well, the lumps are everywhere in your body. So we need to get an ultrasound like now. And so she was very serious. And I said, okay. And little by little, we started realizing that this was very serious, but we didn't know what was going on. So throughout that entire day, I think we got to the doctor at 830 in the morning. And throughout that entire day, we were shuffled back and forth about six times to four different doctors. And at the end of the day, they knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what. And I remember... um, at the end of the day, I told the doctor, listen, I have to go on a trip. And <laughs> it wasn't any trip. Um, I was going to Cookville, Tennessee to work out with Rich Froning. And not everybody gets that opportunity. Right. Uh, you get to go work out with the fittest man on earth and, you know, you have the opportunity to do it. You go do it. Right. right? And I remember I told the doctor, I was like, how long is all this stuff going to take? She's like, listen, go on your trip. Enjoy your trip. Because this is going to take about a week and, you know, to get all the test results back. And we'll see you when you, when you get back. 
And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be the longest week of my life. <laughs> right. Right. And so we do this. Uh, I, I get, go to Cookville and uh, I meet with Rich Froning. I also work with Chris Henshaw. And he has this this workout for me that I've done multiple times. And at the beginning of the workout, something just didn't feel right. And then by the middle of the workout, I couldn't even finish it. Hmm. And I looked at Chris and I was like, I don't know, but I don't feel very well. And that whole weekend, I progressively started getting worse, like flu symptoms. Hmm. And at the end of the trip, I, you know, talked to Rich, talked to Chris, and I was like, listen, I'm really sorry, but I have to tell you something. Um, And they were the first two people that I told. I was like, they may think that I have cancer, but they don't know. And so I remember talking to Rich and asking him, because I know that he is pretty religious, I asked him if he could pray for me. And uh, I don't have that kind of relationship um, with God, and that really wasn't you know, something that I do on an everyday basis, but I knew that he did. And I remember coming back from Cookville, and the doctor still couldn't figure out what was going on. So my parents called me and tried just to figure out how I was feeling, and they were like, listen, you got to come home. And they made me go, uh, or they didn't really make me, but they they told me I I really needed to come back to New York. And so they booked us two tickets to New York. And we really thought we were going to New York for one week. We packed for one week. And we got to, you know, all the doctor's offices, and they did a couple tests. And about three days later, they told me I wasn't allowed to leave for 29 weeks. Uh, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma stage 3B, and it was pretty intense. Um, You know, first of all, you're with, you know, this man that you're starting to fall in love with, and, you know, you're five months into your relationship, and you find out you have cancer. I remember looking at my boyfriend, and it had been like a week or so that we had been there getting everything ready for chemo, and... I looked at him and I said, hey, like, thanks for picking up your life and moving with me. And he said, I didn't pick up my life. I just went with it. Hmm. And our in- our entire life for the last three and a half years has been like that. We just kind of go with the flow. And even though chemo was really intense and I never wished that on my worst enemy, it actually was fun, believe it or not, <laughs> in certain aspects. We made it as fun as possible. And when you ask me about, you know, how quickly I, I beat cancer, I can't really give you a, a, an answer as to why that happened. I had 29 weeks of treatment, and at seven weeks, you get a scan. And the doctor said, don't get your hopes up, but if the scan comes back clean, we can get rid of one of the drugs that are inside the chemo. I said, okay. At this point, I had started losing my hair and started losing, like, my eyebrows and stuff, and it was getting, you know, a little more difficult. And she came back, and she said, I've never seen anything like you before in my life. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, you know, you're cancer-free, and it's week seven. And I said, oh, okay. And so she said, you know, we have to continue to do treatment just to make sure that it's really all gone, but, like, you are good to go. And so my body actually went through a harder transition because of the cumulative nature of the the drugs. But, like, 
We knew we were cancer-free. And when I say we, it was because it was a collective process, right? Like, I didn't do this by myself. Um, I had my family, my boyfriend. I was very, very lucky. And the fact that, you know, I had access to um, the resources to be able to catch everything so early, I felt very, very grateful for. Hmm. That's that's amazing, especially that kind of level of support that you had from um, from your family and from your loved one, um, and kind of in that in that in that light, and um, you know, recently there's been some comments made about couples where one person has adaptive needs and the other one doesn't, uh, and to me they were just like very disgusting comments that were made about it. Uh, can you, so can you tell us what what your relationship is like? <laughs> Our relationship is uh, like as normal as a normal relationship could be. Right. Um, we've actually done a, a video that'll come out in the next couple of days. But Tyler and I, um, we could not be more opposite. Um, physically, we could not be more opposite. I am about 4'10", and he's 6'3". Um, so our height is, is very different, but we're also, he's more introverted. I'm very extroverted. And so our relationship dynamic has always been one of like, I'm going to support you in whatever you want to do in life. And just because you have a different ability or just because you don't, doesn't mean I look at you any different. I remember when we were first dating, we met on Tinder. And (laughs) I met my husband on Bumble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I asked him, it was like the first time in my life I had ever been super honest with myself and with the other person and said, hey, because at this point you could Google me. You could right. Google anything you wanted and see pictures of me in my chair, on my crutches, whatever you wanted to see. So I decided to make a conscious effort to say, hey, listen, this is exactly who I am. This is what you're going to get. Like, if it bothers you, I'm sorry. If it doesn't, like, awesome, let's get to know each other. And I remember I asked him, I said, you know, I have cerebral palsy. I use crutches. I use a wheelchair. Does this bother you? And his response literally was, I'm pigeon-toed. Does that bother you? (laughs) And I was like... I was like, no. And we literally moved on from that conversation and had a conversation for about five hours on the phone. And so in the evolution of our relationship, I mean, yes, there's been times where people look at us differently or, you know, they'll shake his hand because, you know, he's a quote unquote, such a good person, right, for, for being with me, let alone like, you know, if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't have clean clothes, right? <laughs> so, like, at the end of the day, we live this normal life. And, yes, people are always going to have to say something. I mean, we went out last week. We went out to the Elton John concert. And this woman, you know, leaned over to him and told him how brave he was. And I'm oh like, my God. There, 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 there's no reason to say things like that. But at the end of the day... Our love to us is exactly that. It's ours. Right. And the fact that we have this platform, you know, that I didn't even try to create, that just kind of happened, um, we decided to to use it to our advantage and be a positive example of what true love really is because mm-hmm. he doesn't care whether I use crutches, a wheelchair, a manual chair, doesn't matter to him. I mean, trust me, we are not perfect. We have our spats, we have our little arguments, but at the end of the day, we're just two best friends that happen to have fallen in love. I and love so that. when people 
you know, when people look at our relationship, I hope they look at it in a space of, you know, I want that for myself also, not like, oh, Tyler's such a good person because he's with somebody in a wheelchair. Yeah, like that, that's that, so that, annoying. That, Frankly, know, I think people like pro- probably to be fair, like people tell probably people probably tell my husband, "You're such a good guy for being." With <laughs> <Jesus."> <laughs> you know, like I, I think th- my I think my my best uh, my bri- my maid of honor speech was something along the lines like, "You are you're a hero for putting up with this woman." <laughs> you know. I, I think it's very, just on on one quick point on that, I think it's very important that people understand that if you don't know something or you don't know about something, ask questions, right? Like Tyler doesn't just automatically know everything about cerebral palsy. He asked questions. He learned things. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, you need to be honest in the first place, Right. right? Because go into a relationship with honesty and loyalty and... I mean, the rest of it will kind of just fall into place. So Yeah, I love that. Career Conversations is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Cricket Conversations a free stock, like Apple, Ford, or Sprint, to help build your portfolio. Sign up at cricket.robinhood.com. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Just to to finish, and I, and I could talk to you for like such a long time, and I really am serious. I'm gonna come to to I'm gonna come to North Carolina and do a what with you, um, but just to close us off, uh, you know the the American with Disabilities Act passed in 1973, and no other piece of legislation, kind of like major legis- legislation, has passed in Congress since. I mean the um, the Idea uh, Act was reauthorized in 1990, but that still was almost 30 years ago. How has the ADA um, helped you and what do you wish uh, we could add to it or, or how do you wish it should change because it's been a really long time since we've addressed this and the world has changed well first and foremost you calling me old because uh, <laughs> I, I, I was born no. in 1990 <laughs> no well um, I was born in 1983 so no, there you no, go. I'm just messing with you um, so 
Honestly, I feel extremely lucky to have never lived a day of my life without the coverage of the ADA. But here's the thing. The ADA law is one thing, right? And, and, I'll, and I say this a lot. The ADA law is one thing. Life experience is a completely other thing. So I'm somebody that uses a manual chair, but also uses a power chair. Those two chairs have different sizes. I am somebody with different needs than somebody who is nonverbal or somebody who is uh, hearing impaired or visually impaired. And so, unfortunately, I know we can't really personalize the law, but I think what we can do, hopefully in the future, is have discussions, right? I'm actually having a discussion right now with my town. There... I went to the dog park with my puppy and I couldn't get into the dog park. Mm-hmm. And because of the kind of, um, you know, the surface that was on the ground, it was made of mulch and the mulch was getting stuck in my chair. And I've been talking to the townspeople and, you know, listen, I think it's really important to have somebody that actually lives with adaptive needs on your board of you know, whatever it is, the town board or these advisory councils. And I asked them, I said, with all due respect, is the person that you're having come in and and do these, you know, surveys of the town, is that person able-bodied? Because they have no idea what we go through. Unless you live it, you'll never, never really know. And that doesn't mean that you have to be adaptive to live it. My boyfriend lives it every single day. And, you know, he has a different perspective for life. And so I think it would be really important in the future that, you know, you do ask people with adaptive needs, what are your needs? How can I best assist you? Because guaranteed, nine times out of ten, you'll find somebody that will tell you, hey, This will be easier if you do X, Y, Z, or this would be easier if you did A, B, C. But if you don't have those conversations, you can't get upset that, you know, somebody like myself is calling you out. Right. You know, and so I think I'm so grateful for the ADA, and I think it's a wonderful thing to have, but I also think it has a long way to go. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, And I know I said we were going to let you after this question, but... um, but I have to ask you about about your your box, about your fitness facility. Um, yeah. This this month on Cricket Conversations, we're talking to women who are on the brink of making history, and I think you are on the brink of completely revolutionizing fitness for people with adaptive needs, and really revolutionizing revolutionizing fitness for for all of us. So, can you tell us what? Um, what led you to to open this facility and what what the values of the box are? So about four years ago, I had a conversation with my grandfather. Um, I bring him up a lot because he's one of the most amazing people I've ever known and pretty much one of my best friends besides my boyfriend. But I remember sitting down with him and saying, you know, I think I want to open my own gym, but I don't just want to open a CrossFit gym. I want to open a gym for people like you, for people like me, anybody that wants to come in and work out at my facility. My grandpa's now 80, he'll be 81 in uh, a couple weeks, and he is one of the most active people that I know. 
And so my vision for this place was a place where anybody could work out, regardless of age, ability, or skill level. Uh, six months ago, that dream came true. Uh, after chemo, I sat down with my boyfriend and I said, listen, I think I really want to open this gym and I think it's it's going to be time to do so. I worked for a couple other gyms while we got settled here in North Carolina. And although I loved the opportunity to work for other people, this idea of opening the gym just kept coming up in my mind. And six months ago, we opened Hammer Driven Fitness, and I could not be more proud of the facility that we created, the atmosphere that is is there, and the people that come in every single day. Last night, we actually had our largest 7 o'clock class, which was really cool. Uh, we had 12 people in a class, and I can tell you, five people out of those 12 people had adaptive needs. Mm. And it was so cool to see yeah. how everybody was just doing the same workout and, you know, creating that same stimulus for their bodies. And yet everybody was doing things a little bit differently. And at the end of the workout, they're all done. The clock is done and everybody feels the same way. They feel accomplished. And that's my goal is that every time you walk into my gym, whether you walk into the gym or you roll into the gym, I don't care. As long as you want to work out and you want to be considered an athlete in my gym, you are an athlete. And so, you know, you just have to dream big because if you don't dream big, you're never going to know what's possible. Yep. Yep. I love that. So dream big, everybody, because we all can achieve our goals as long as we don't give up and we keep going forward. Um, Stephanie, thank you so much for, for joining us. I so enjoyed our conversation and I... Um, I'm just in 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 all of everything you've you've done and of your positive attitude. Where can people follow you um, and and follow your amazing journey? So people can follow me personally at Steph the Hammer on social media, both Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're looking for the gym, you can always uh, follow or Google Hammer Driven Fitness, and we'll be able to find find you there. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Okay, so I'm going to stop making excuses and just get back to CrossFit ASAP. I hope that you were all as moved as I was by Steph's story, her journey, and her unstoppable attitude. If you haven't listened to our other conversations this month, make sure to catch up. This month, as you may already know, we're introducing you to four women who are on the brink of making history. We've spoken to Maya Rupert, Amanda Wang, and today, of course, we spoke to Steph Hammerman who is on the brink of changing fitness for all of us. Make sure to share this episode with everyone you know, subscribe to Cook It Combos, support our sponsors. Let's keep this thing going. And as always, you can find me online at Julissa Arce. That's for those of you that don't know how to spell it. That's J-U-L-I-S-S-A-A-R-C-E. Until next time, stay hopeful, my friends. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. 
and craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. 